help but this morning just look around as people were singing the words of that song and sort of know the story of a number of folks in this room and those who were with us earlier in the service and know of their hardships in life that they've endured know of the sickness know of the death know of the disease and and just the calamities of life and yet how great is God in the midst of them and just uh, am thankful for the gathering of the saints to be able to have opportunity to be encouraged and you certainly have encouraged me today I'm grateful for that so we're in James chapter 5 we're in the first six verses last week I uh, sort of did a, an audible and decided to split the service message in half and you were grateful for that because you didn't want to be here an hour and a half listening to me uh, but God has a word for us in James that I wanted to just slow down enough to listen with intention of being transformed by it now a common theme throughout the Lord's teaching is that our words and our wallet often reveal our heart and Jesus just mentions this over and over many of the parables and the teachings that he gives to us identify that and of course we're recognizing that we are in need of a new heart Isaiah who is a preacher uh, was standing before the Lord in his great holiness and remember what Isaiah says woe am I for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people with unclean lips and yet my eyes have seen the Lord and so what he was saying there is that my mouth is revealing my mouth constantly reveals that I am in need of a transformation I'm standing before holiness and immediately my sin is known and the sin that he points to before he points to anything else it's my mouth and so we recognize that that our mouth exposes our heart and we know that we need a new heart our wallet does the same thing Jesus would go on to say in Matthew that it's the treasure of your life that is revealed in in resources and how you use resources and wealth for where your treasure is there your heart will be also and of course in Luke chapter 6 he says it's out of the overflow of the heart the abundance of the heart that our mouth speaks now James has picked up on those truths and he has obviously heard the Lord speak those he's inspired by the Spirit to write them down in this epistle and they are altogether true and he's just pointing out those realities in his epistle that words and wallet have a lot to do with the expressions of our heart so that's where we've been hanging out in chapter 5 he's talking a lot about money and possession and uh, last week I gave you sort of the grounding of this I mentioned several things I'll just mention a couple of them uh, first just an understanding that wealth in and of itself is not sinful so if God has given wealth to you that that's a, a blessing to you and a good thing for other people wealth is not sinful so you can be very wealthy and not be sinful uh, many of the people of faith were of the scripture that are heroes of the faith had immense wealth and so we recognize that wealth is not a sin now what you do with it how you get it and the attitude you have about it can be very sinful but in and of itself the subject of wealth is not sinful then as well last week I mentioned this that wealth provides multiple opportunities for us and beyond us it allows us the opportunity in some way to serve and honor the Lord with what we possess 
It helps people in need. It allows us to give inheritance to our family and have a legacy of that in our family. We can use wealth in ways to win the loss to Christ. In fact, I was talking yesterday at a funeral of a gentleman. Uh, we were just talking about COVID and how it's just kind of transformed the way we do missions and ministry. And he said, I'm so grateful that right before all this hit, we were able to bring into a certain country 20,000 Bibles and those deposits were made. We had no idea that COVID would keep us from being able to travel, he was saying, and I concurred with him. So thankful for Meadowbrook using wealth to win people to Christ. The way we've been doing that is on the mission field, not only do we communicate the gospel, but we invest the gospel and the richness of the gospel and the full counsel of God's word in people who are native to that country, who are influencers in that country, and it can just multiply. And then you have made thousands upon thousands of deposits of Bibles in countries. And that doesn't return back to the Lord void. You heard Isaiah 55. It, it returns uh, with a bounty to it. So we can use wealth to win the loss to Christ. We can support the work and, of the people of God and the church of God. And we can lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We mentioned all that last week. And then we were coming down to three important questions that we ought to consider regarding wealth. It's how did you gain your wealth? I think God is interested in that. If you have wealth, how did you gain it? Did you gain it in a righteous way? What's your attitude about it? Are you given to it? Because you're not going to be able to be given to money and given to God at the same time. You're going to have to worship one or the other. You can't worship both. So what's your attitude about the wealth and how did you use it? Is it evident that Christ is the center of your heart, that your life is given to the glory and honor of Christ and the mission of Christ? Are you using wealth in a way that identifies that? And so we talked about God is concerned in those areas. Now we move towards chapter 5 verses 1 through 6 again today and We'll uh, continue on in the message. Here's what the scripture says. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Man, James is pretty poignant, isn't he? I mean, he's about as as direct as you can be verse 4 behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the lord of hosts by the way the lord of hosts maybe in your translation it it uh, identifies it as uh, sabaoth he is the lord sabaoth it it carries the idea that he is the lord of the host of heaven's armies so he is the commander of heaven's armies. So not only is God hearing the cries of the harvesters who were cheated by those wicked, wealthy people, their cries have reached the Lord Sabaoth, the Lord over the armies of heaven. Uh, that ought to be somewhat alarming, and it is, for those who have not uh, given themselves to Christ, and he has not brought righteousness into them. Verse 5 you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now that passage continues in verse 7, which we'll pick up next week. And all next week is about, so what if you've been the one who's been oppressed? What if you've been the one cheated? What if you've been the one 
who people come against in those ways. And that passage that we'll talk about next week is directed towards you, how, how God is for you and how God is going to reset and how you can live uh, with joy in the midst of all that. But that'll be for next week. So last week we talked about verse 1, which was, Come now, you rich, weep and howl. We talked about this is more than crying. This is a deep anguish that gets voiced. It has great significance and uh, uh, sort of a, a, an uttering of the pain and the sorrow at the recognized loss. And a howl could easily be translated as a screech. It is a loud, anguished sound. So you who are rich now, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming. What are those miseries? Well, there is coming a day when all people will stand before God and give an account for all things. He is going to hold us accountable to those things which have been done or not done as prescribed by God. And there will be a time of anguish and weeping and howling for those who have not been made right in Christ Jesus. They still carry their sin and the judgment of God is still against them. They may claim to be connected to the church or claim Christianity, but the way they manage words, the way they manage money, the way they view it, their attitudes about it, reveals otherwise, that they are not one in Christ. And so they have every reason to weep and howl at the misery that is to come. Now, as I mentioned last week, James is making a couple of alarming statements and they're, they're that riches and possessions will fail you in the savings and the investments and the possessions that we have, we are actually left penniless with those when it comes to the economy of heaven. And he is wanting us to recognize that. We ought to think very much eternal about temporal treasure, temporal resources, money and investment. Those things are important and God gives them to us. He gives them the opportunity to manage them, to steward them. But you ought to be thinking eternal about those things and all things because we are made to be eternal beings. That's one of the things that James is pointing out. The second is that money leaves a solid trail of evidence and could even testify for or against you. And in this account, James is saying to those who claim Christianity but show no signs of a transformed life, and it's evident that they serve money over God, then the money is going to testify against them, and so will the people that they cheated along the way. So that brings us where I left off last week. I'm going to mention four things about James chapter, one, chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And the first is this, that stockpiling and hoarding wealth and possessions will prove futile and eternally costly. Now, let me just remind you, for those of us who are walking in Christ, who have a new nature given to us by the glorious grace of Christ, this passage is not written to us. Now, it certainly can encourage us, it can warn us, it can remind us of what we've been saved from, and it can help us to identify the things that we don't want to move back towards. He's talking about people who are claiming Christianity or connecting in some way to the church, but they are not transformed. And the evidence is they stockpile and they hoard their possessions and it proves in the end to be futile and it will be eternally costly for them. So James mentions the way of wealth that uh, is common in the day in which he lived. And in the ancient world, the standards for wealth are stored grains. You have a harvest that came in and the harvest is plentiful and you can store that. That's a 
uh, consideration of wealth in an agrarian economy. Secondly is clothes, because people often did not have multiple clothes like we have. There were no closets in the day of James because people didn't have multiple sets of clothes. If you had multiple sets of clothes, it meant that you were not only rich, but you had status. And the third thing is silver and gold, or precious metals. Uh, it's much the same today. We have a storing, don't we? We have savings. We have accounts that we hold things in. We have closets full of clothes, and we want new clothes regularly, and we might have silver or gold, although I don't possess silver or gold, other than that which I've given to Kay, I guess. Uh, that's the only possession of silver and gold we have. Somebody asked me the last time we went through a cycle of economic upheaval, uh, this church member asked me, Randy, what do you think about gold? Are you, are you going to buy gold? Do you think I should buy gold? I'm like, I don't know. I'm a preacher. What does a preacher know about gold? Uh, so anyway, uh, that probably worked out well for him, but I did not go and buy gold. I probably should right now. Have you seen the cost of gold these days? And if, you've, if you're invested in gold, good for you. We have a building we're trying to build, and we could use some of that. <laughs> Be generous about that. But he's saying stockpile and hoarding, that is going to prove futile in the end. Listen, when you come into eternity and the economy of God is wildly different than the economy of earth, and nothing has value that you've valued here. Nothing has value there. It's all temporal. It's going to prove futile. And the way you used it on earth could have costliness for all eternity. So he's just reminding us of that. And he's saying to those who are putting their, I'll just say the word out of risk of being a pun, putting your stock in storing up grain how futile is that because grain doesn't last very long when it's stored does it and and putting your your interest in possessions like clothes what what good is that in james day you didn't have cedar lined closets and mothballs so moths would come and eat up the clothing and what about your silver and gold that will rust now he knows that silver and gold doesn't really rust like steel what he's saying there in a very poetic way its value is not secure it fluctuates you, you may think you have a treasure today and tomorrow it might be very different so he is being very considerate to those things your riches your clothing your gold your silver in the end because you have used it wrongly, gained it wrongly, thought about it wrongly, it will be evidence against you, and its corrosion in your soul is going to be like fire to your flesh. You're laying up a treasure that you're not even thinking about. It's a treasure that is going to come against you. MacArthur notes that James is conscious convicting meaning is while God's needy children are all around you your heartless act of stockpiling to preserve your wealth has turned into it into spiritual rot in your souls so he's saying yeah you're amassing all this stuff but it comes at great cost to your soul so obviously you and I should think very differently in Christ than the world does about money and possessions we understand that God gives us eternal riches in Christ Jesus. And those riches are not, for the most part, temporary riches. They are eternal in value. It doesn't mean that God doesn't bless us with riches. It doesn't mean he doesn't bless us with possessions. But the greater possession is Jesus. The greater wealth is his glory, his presence with us. 
and the eternal treasure that we have in him the fact that he is the heir to all that is God's and he makes us a co-heir with him is what is of great value so the riches may be temporary yes but we ought to think of them being more long-lasting than that the things that are incredible of God that are eternal so being a good steward of God's trusted entrusted resources to us today is essential and we have to be prudent about that and save for future needs but stockpiling and hoarding God is always against that uh, in an effort to have more luxury and more comfort the rest of the days of your life God is against that it's not about stockpiling for that purpose Jesus talked about that in a parable in Luke chapter 12 we'll just read it real quick he told them a parable saying the land of a rich man produced plentiful and he thought to himself what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops in other words all my barns are full I've got more crops to gather in this is this is the essence of being rich I've got nowhere to put it so he says okay I know what I'm going to do I'm going to tear down my barns and build larger ones and there I will store my grain and goods and I will say to my soul what a risky statement to make soul you have ample goods laid up for many years relax eat drink be merry by the way there is going to be a time of relaxing eating drinking and be marrying it doesn't mean that we won't have that in some measure today but that's a description of heaven and so we ought to be banking towards heaven it doesn't mean that we don't have good things in life today we do we have time of relaxing and eating and drinking and being merry in heart but God says to him fool this night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared whose will they be so it is with the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God this is the most powerful statement to me in the entirety of the passage so it is for the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich in God but he doesn't say so it is for the one who lays up treasure he's saying you're laying up treasure and defaulting on the treasure that God has given to you in Christ Jesus you're poor in spirit, in, in righteousness, in holiness, in newness of life. You might be rich on earth, but you are poor in your spirit. And what is God, uh, what is that in your relationship with God and for all eternity? So he's calling them to, to make an attentive move towards recognizing everything here on earth is just going to be burned away. Don't forget that, that all that you and I strive for and hold on to and try to protect in the end it will burn away and it it will have no value whatsoever so with such teachings of Jesus no wonder James says in this warning you've laid up treasure in the last days in other words when you had the opportunity to make a loving difference in the lives of people and the mission of Christ you selfishly stockpiled the resources for your own luxury and comfort and that's a treasure that is not going to be valuable in the end so I've been amazed by the generosity of so many of the people here at Meadowbrook as we've been building this building and trying to do it in a way that is glorious without debt and I've just been astounded by some significant gifts both large amounts and small amounts uh, the smaller amounts often of people who are on a fixed income and the discretionary money that they have gets moved towards that building project I'm so encouraged by them uh, I can't I can't wait for the 
for the rewards, eternal rewards and the treasure that they are storing up in heaven for them to really be able to have all of that. And all those others that have just been giving incredibly generous amounts of money. Uh, it's a miracle of God that uh, we're just right at a million dollars right now left to be paid for of an $8.6 million project. Amazing accomplishments from the people of God and the, and the movement of the Spirit of God. I'm grateful to you as you are laying up treasure in heaven. I'm thankful. Number two, living at the expense of the poor is eternally costly. Again, James is talking about people who have been given to money rather than God. Jesus said, you can't serve both God and money. You're going to have to choose between the two. You can't have a service unto both. You can't live gloriously unto both. You're going to have to choose. And so some people are living their lives in expense to the poor, and that is going to be costly for them. It says, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. Now, a couple of cries are being heard here, and one is very interesting. You and I can see that the harvesters who are cheated out of their pay, you figured out some way in which you're not going to pay them. And they're cheated. Their cries are coming up to the Lord, and He is hearing their cries. And I promise you, He will respond. And it might be in the temporary time period, or it might be in the eternity, that God will bring justice. God will bring vengeance. But what I was really interested in, because it's unexpected, is this first part, the wages of the laborers, which you kept back. They are crying. Now, if we were going to just go back to eighth grade English, we would say, okay, let's identify the subject and the verbs. And the wages are crying out. Isn't that interesting? Because you would think it would be the mowers. And they do cry out, and God does hear them. But look what he's saying. The money in the counts that should have gone to the hands of the mowers, the money is crying out to God. And this is what I was saying. It can be used as a voice and testimony against people. Because that money should have been placed in the hands of the people who worked, but instead it's in the accounts of the rich, and it cries out to God. Interesting, isn't it, how God is hearing the testimony of that which should have been given. I also think it's interesting that the people who are most vulnerable are those who are cheated. Here you have people who are hand-to-mouth. In other words, they're doing work with their hands like mowing and harvesting, and that work should have been transformed into a way of money and then be used for food. But instead, there's been a stop, right? There's been a, there's been a, a ceasing of the payment. So people like this work paycheck to paycheck, or in this case, they're daily laborers expecting to get paid at that day so they can feed their family that day. But you've stopped paying them because you wanted it for yourself in the greediness of self. That's a big deal. Now, I mentioned next week I'm going to talk more about how God provides for people who are the sufferers of that. But right now, I just will mention this to you. If you're one of those people who have been opposed, cheated, people owe you money, your boss said that you were going to get this, you didn't get it, you thought you were going to have this. It didn't come through. You're one of those people. I want you to know that God hears. God hears your cries. And he says in the end, 
You just leave room for my vengeance, for vengeance is mine. I will repay. It, it will happen. So just settle into that. You're going to be okay. In the end, when eternity is opened up, it will be realized. And it might be that God will even do something during these days as well. So James has mentioned those two vulnerable groups, the mowers and the harvesters, and you and I should be very careful to make sure that we never act in a wicked way towards them, for God is listening to them. In essence, James is saying, hey, you may be getting away with your greedy cheating of the poor and the voiceless, but the Lord of hosts, the Lord who commands the armies of heaven, he hears the cries of people that you're cheating. Now, number three, living luxuriously without care for others is eternally costly so james is describing somebody in verse five living high on the hog without recognizing they're actually marching to a slaughter themselves that's the way things change it's the tables that get changed you can live in luxury today and then for all eternity to be in the misery of hell and so james is giving warning to that luxury and self-indulgence never reach the point of satisfaction it makes you crave more and more to have more to go more to do more to be more you never get satisfied with stuff and money as long as your heart is given to that so jesus has come to save us from that man what a rat race that is and, and what a bondage that is to always have to have more and jesus came to save us and from that and he satisfies the deeper longings like all of that we're clamoring for that is temporary is actually a counterfeit to the deeper longing in our heart which is given only by god and the relationship we have with him and the treasures of heaven and the treasures of the presence of god and the glory of god and the righteousness of christ so that's what christ has saved us for so that we have satisfaction in him and we don't have to go clamoring for all that other stuff now that doesn't mean that you won't have resources because often God does entrust us with resources. And when he does, he gives his Holy Spirit to us to help us to manage, to steward those things well. And I think they are holy acts. So the things that I'm calling a holy act is like planning income, and you're investing, and you're saving, and you're spending, and you're giving. All those are holy acts. When you are and I are given to Christ and the worship of Christ and the Holy Spirit is teaching us to manage things well, then they become holy acts so we begin to plan our income, plan our investing, and plan our saving. So you ought to be doing those things and ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Uh, Kay and I have dabbled into some investment stuff and we typically hand that off to somebody we trust to do that. Because there will be a time in our life where you will not pay us. We will not be worth being paid. Uh, there will be a time in my life where I won't be able to put the words together and I won't be able to see so well to study. I know that time's coming. The question is, do I know exactly when the time's coming, right? And this thing doesn't get awkward for us. But at some point, you and I are going to recognize together, hey, Randy, this is not the place you ought to be serving and we're not going to pay you to do that anymore. And I'm going to go and serve Jesus in some other way without getting paid by Meadowbrook. All right, that time's coming. So we're making investments. And many times we are praying. I'm specifically praying because I'm the leader of the household. Lord, help me to be wise in this. By your Holy Spirit, direct me, not just in income, but in my investments and what I should be investing in and how I should do that and about the savings and how much should I be saving in preparation for that day so there's nothing wrong with that that's wonderful 
when we do it with the glory of Christ as our goal and the Spirit as our teacher. Now, as much as we plan to have, we should plan to spend as well. Lord, how much of the income should I be spending? Uh, oftentimes, we, we turn that around. What do I have left to save? Really, what ought to move us is, Lord, what should I be spending? I'm trusting that you're going to provide. What should I spend? And maybe even more important is, Lord, what should I give? Have you ever thought about planning your giving? Now, almost all of us plan the income and the investments and probably the savings. But rarely do I hear of somebody planning to give. And I know when I hear somebody talking about a planning gift that they are being stirred by the Spirit of God, moved by Him, and that's encouraging to me. So we're doing those things because we're choosing not to live luxuriously in this world, but we want to plan for our income, our spending, and our giving. We want to live in a way that identifies us as being a follower of Christ who is a giver. Then number four, being careless and harmful to the innocent is eternally costly. So James says in the sixth verse, you have condemned and murdered the righteous. He does not resist you. Now, although it could happen, I don't know that he's talking about physical murder here. I'm not suggesting that he's not. I just am not certain about that. Because I can see that happening, and it does happen. In fact, the, the motivation of the Pharisees and the scribes and those rulers, uh, religious rulers of the day, part of their great motivation in the murder of Jesus Christ was the riches that they would have to forego if he was driving people out of the, the court of the Gentiles where they were making money. It was a drive to murder. And there are others that you could point to as well. But I really think what he's talking about here is a judicial murder, one that is using authority and position and resources, basically saying to the poor, oh, you don't like that I've withheld something? Well, sue me. Knowing that the rich can win most of the time in court. Because in the day of James, the rich had the advantage in the courts. Hmm. In the day of the 21st century, often the rich have the upper hand in court as well. And we ought to be guarded about that because you and I are people of faith with a new heart, with a generous disposition that is given to us by the Holy Spirit. We ought to be forewarned about that, not to make it so that somebody can't live their life and support their life because we drug them into court. So here, if you're one of those persons, I just want you to notice that God avenges, that God will correct all of that in the end. Beloved, never avenge yourself, he says in Romans chapter 12, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God is going to care for you. God is going to provide for you. That doesn't mean that it's going to be certain today in a form of dollars but it does mean in light of eternity, God will cover it. God will make it right. So like many others today, this passage is one of those tests, and it's a rebuke, obviously. It's a test for people who claim Christianity, but who live sub-Christian. They claim one thing, but their wallets and their attitudes and their words express something very differently. And they fail the test of faith, 
proving to love money over loving God. And as I've said now a couple of three times, Jesus says you cannot love both at the same time. You're going to have to choose one or the other. Or maybe they love themselves over the, their love for God. And Jesus says, deny yourself and follow after me. So it's obvious they failed the test. These people are unsaved. They remain in their sin. So in the end, they will weep and they will howl at the miseries that are to come and the money in the accounts and the witness of those they have abused and financially hindered will cry out and God has heard it and he will avenge. He will come against people like that. I recognize in light of today's text that you and I First, if you're not given to Christ, you ought to come to faith in Jesus Christ and surrender your life to Him. The majority of us in this room have heard of God's good news and we have moved towards Him as He has moved towards us and we have denied ourselves and we have pledged to live our life in Christ with this new nature that He's given us by His Spirit, with this Word that um, encourages and tells us how we ought to live, is the measure for our living. But we still struggle, don't we? We still struggle to move back towards those things that Christ has saved us from. We still struggle with the love for money and things. And this is a passage that will remind us to not go back where Christ has saved us from. To, to think differently and to live out differently. I came across a list in a couple of different books. Uh, one to be honest, plagiarize it from another. <laughs> so I thought, well, hey, Lord, if I'm seeing this list twice, I probably should, should mention that to our church family. So here's six questions that I want to ask us. Is it evident that we hoard in any way? Do I hoard? Because if I have a tendency to hoard, that is a fleshly tendency. It doesn't mean we don't save. It doesn't mean that we don't have investment. It doesn't mean that we don't have possession. But do I hoard? Do I hold it knowing that it could help others? Am I guilty of over-accumulation of wealth? Now, I can promise you, and I can show the accounts to you, Kay and I do not have an over-accumulation of wealth. But can I just be very honest with you? We have a drive in our Western culture to that, and I'm very susceptible to this and over-accumulation. Because when is enough enough? When, when is it that I can care for her as my bride for the rest of our days if we don't have income coming in? When is enough enough? The Western culture says enough is never enough. And we have a number of financial advisors in our church, and I'm grateful for them. And I love it when I hear them talk about how they encourage people in their spirit. They speak about the issues of the soul and oftentimes even more than they speak about the issues of money. And what they're doing is they're helping train people not to have an over-accumulation of resource. In other words, don't bank everything on your money. Your money is going to dry up someday and it will not be valuable in the end of your days. What is valuable is your relationship with God. What is valuable is the righteousness that Christ Jesus credits to your account. That's what's going to be valuable in the end. And James wants us to help remember that. And so in this culture, you and I have to be very guarded not to over-accumulate. When we over-accumulate and get into that mindset, we will hold on to and not be free-handed. 
By the way, our benevolent ministry at Meadowbrook called Open Hands was named as you and I were working through some passages, and I was doing a series one time, and it was about open-handed living. Just, we have a tendency to want to cling to, hold on to, and we ought to be, in Christ, open-handed. And so that's part of what that ministry is, is communicating. We want to be open-handed with what we have, not over-accumulating. Look at the next one. Have I ever or am I defrauding someone? Again, the Western culture has this way of moving towards this. Even with our deals, we want to walk away from the deal as being on top. We want to be better than somebody else in the deal. We want to posture ourselves in that way. And that might be a good business decision to do things that way. But you have to ask, what's the heart when you're doing that? Am I more like Christ or am I walking away with both of us having a fair deal, a fair transaction? I'm not constantly trying to get the better than and certainly not ever defrauding somebody. Now, look at the last three here. Uh, is there financial deception in my life? Is there cheating in any way, a deception, a lie in my life in any, any aspect? Let's just move through these last two fairly quickly. Have I given to or some, succumbed to the culture's sway of self-indulgence? Uh, so we, we live for self in the United States, but you and I are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and we live for Christ. And so we don't want to be given to the culture sway of self-indulgence constantly and have i victimized someone because of a power advantage that i possess uh, those are good questions for us to ask which draws us to a conclusion so you and i have to come to a a conclusion about this and how is life to be transformed how is it that we can not live in those ways where we will weep and howl at the miseries to come first we surrender our lives to jesus christ Jesus is the one who has revealed how to live in this way. He was perfect in this, and he offers to us relationship with him and the nature by which he lives and even the mind by which he has, and we can exercise in that new life that Christ has given to us. You remember that we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was rich, but for our sakes became poor, that we might, who are in poverty, have the riches of God. And he's not talking about riches and money. He's talking about riches that are eternal. The glory of God, the righteousness of God, the presence of God. Now look at this last uh, section of Scripture that I want to reveal, and then I'll draw us to a conclusion. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Let me pause here for just a moment to say, God is not anti your interest. Uh, that's not what he's saying. He said, sure, look after your interest. Look after your income. Look after your savings. Look after your investment. Look after your possessions. Look after those things, but don't be myopic. Don't be singular in that. Go beyond you and look to the interest of others as well. This is where grand stewardship comes in by the Spirit of God, and these decisions become holy decisions. Do I buy? Do I sell? Do I save? Do I spend? Do I give? Do I hold? All those are holy questions that ought to be asked with the input of the Holy Spirit with the interest of others and the interest of ourselves as well. There's a beautiful balance that God will give us if we're given to Him. Having this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, our thoughts are on Him, right? We're looking to Him who gives us the mind 
who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men so you won't find anybody more rich than Jesus he's in the glory of heaven he's co-heir with God you don't get any richer than Jesus but he leaves the place of glory and riches and comes in the expression of human form emptying himself becoming a servant and even dying in our stead look how the passage goes on a little further and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so those who humble themselves are exalted by God Jesus is the perfect example of that he humbled himself and God exalted him there's no other name greater than the name of Jesus amen in fact everybody is going to know and proclaim the name of Jesus one day uh, let's go to that next passage so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father the way out of this vicious cycle of materialism of indulgence of hoarding of having to have more and never being satisfied with the fullness that you have the way out of that is Jesus Christ all of that is just a counterfeit trying to cover over the deepest longing that you have and the deepest longing is that you have is to know the richness of Christ our Lord come to him he's the perfect one come to him he's the righteous one come to him he's the humble one who has now been exalted by god our father because he was obedient to the will of the father to make it so you and i who are spiritually impoverished could be rich in spirit by him come to jesus let him satisfy your every longing and never to be hooked back in to this chain to more and more and more now pray with me in this moment Lord we recognize the freedom that is found in Jesus for the satisfaction and the hope in discovering him being known as the truth and the life uh, Lord I pray even now as some are listening on the radio some by our streaming services some in this room that lives would be surrendered to you and the chains to materialism and more and more stuff would be broken. What a vicious, vicious life that is. A hopeless life of despair. I pray, Lord, that you would give freedom in that. And that people would renounce that. The God of this world. Renounce the image of idols greenbacks and silver coins I pray Lord people would renounce that and come to Jesus yield their life to him deny themselves and take up his cross and follow right after him and in doing so Lord that you would fill them with your presence give them significance in life let them experience the joy of being in relationship with you the wonder of having the glory in them transforming them. I pray that this would be the day where peace and truth rule and reign in the hearts of people who give themselves to you. Unto Jesus 
the glorious one, I pray. Amen.